Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this time. Thank you for an entire year of life you've given us. And God, we thank you for breath and life and air and all things. Thank you, God, that our names are written in heaven. Thank you that our sins are washed away in the blood of the Lamb. And thank you, Lord, that you love us just as we are. And you desire us to know more and more of who you are, God, and you want to transform us into something even more special. And we just praise you, God, for the great love that you have for every person here. Jesus, we thank you that you have blessed us in abundant ways throughout the year. Thank you for the various circumstances and the trials and the surprises. Thank you for all the experiences you have given us. Lord, help us not to look back, but to look forward. Jesus, our eyes are on you today. We pray and ask that you would bless us with your Holy Spirit, guide us to all truth. And Jesus, we pray and ask today that this last Sabbath, that you would give us the privilege and honor of hearing your voice today. In Jesus' name, amen. Church family, I really like 2011, but I'm excited about 2012, aren't you? I believe that this is next year God plans on doing big things. In fact, the theme of the next year will be for such a time as this, based upon Esther chapter 4, verse 14, where God called Esther in a moment of providence. I believe with all my heart, God is placing you providentially in certain places because he wants to accomplish big things to every person. Can you say amen to that? So let's be excited about next year. Let's have faith. By the way, here's a question I want to ask you right now. How big is your faith today? How big is your faith today? You know what's very interesting? Whenever we think about the end of 2011 or 2010, 2009, whenever we ever think about the end of a year, it's exciting because we get to think about what next year is going to be like. Right? We begin to think about all the resolutions that we are planning and we are hoping that we're going to keep. Now, how many people here have made resolutions? Raise your hand. It's okay. Don't be embarrassed. I have about 60 or 70 resolutions I've made a few weeks ago. Oh, just four of you. Anybody else ever made any New Year's resolutions so far? Okay. By the way, I just want to challenge you before the year ends that you make some resolutions. By the way, I'm going to share with you the top 10 resolutions that are made by people. Are you ready for this? Here it is. Number one, lose weight. Lose weight. That's a common one. Number two, quit smoking. Quit smoking. Number three, learn something new. Learn something new. Number four, eat a healthier diet. Amen. Get out of debt. That's another resolution. Spend more time with family. Hallelujah. Travel to new places. Be less stressed. Good luck. Volunteer. Volunteer. And the last one is to stop alcohol. Now I'm going to ask you guys a question right now. I need somebody to raise their hand. What are your resolutions for this next year? What are your resolutions? Gary, what's your resolution for this next year? Amen. Very good. Glad to hear that. Anybody else? What's a resolution that you are planning for next year? Jan? Eat healthy. Amen. How about you? Amen. Anybody else? What's the New Year's resolution you have? Coda. 
Amen. I like that. So we have two years. How about you? Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, the people sitting in the front row get straight A's. Okay. Anybody else? How about you? Get to Sabbath school on time. Woo, I like that one. Who else has a New Year's resolution? How about you? Say it a little louder. Amen. Amen. I like that. Anybody else? How about you over there? Yes. Huh? Good. Amen. Is your mom right next to you? Good. That'd be embarrassing if she was right now. So, oh, she's two people down. Good. That's a good resolution. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? What is the New Year's resolution? Mario. Be bold for Christ. I love that. Hallelujah. Anybody else? What is the New Year's resolution that you have planned for this next year? Yes. Reach out to others. I love that. I love that. How about you way in the back, Becky? Memorize more scripture? Amen. I love that. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Anybody else? What is a New Year's resolution that you have planned for this year, next year? Yes. Getting to know the word better. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? What is a New Year's resolution that you have planned for this coming year? Yes. Listen to your mama. Praise the Lord. That, someone give that young girl a lollipop. Praise the Lord. So, anybody else? What is the New Year's resolution? Joyce. Amen. Listen to the voice of God before I act. Praise the Lord. Well, I appreciate everybody sharing New Year's resolutions. Now I'm going to share with you the top 10 most commonly broken New Year's resolutions. Are you ready for this? I like luring you out. Ready? Here we go. Lose weight. Quit smoking. Learn something new. This is by Time Special. Eat healthier diets. Get out of debt. Spend more time with family travel to new places, be less stressed, volunteer, and stop alcohol. Those are the top 10 most commonly broken resolutions. Surprisingly enough, it's the exact same 10 that most people plan on having for the next year. You know, when it comes to New Year's resolutions, it's really exciting because it's a time for us to change and to grow and to become what we weren't in 2011. I really believe there's good intent behind that. Can you say amen to that? I really believe God calls us to change, to be transformed, to grow. I love what Ellen White says. She says, higher than the highest thought is God's ideal for his people. Amen? God wants you to grow more than you want to grow. And he wants to give you more than you really realize. And I really believe there's good intention and good motivation behind New Year's resolutions, and that is to become the person that God wants you to be. Can you say amen to that? In fact... When you look at most New Year's resolutions, they're all about, except for the Sabbath commandment, about becoming Adventist. Be more faithful to my wife. Stop drinking. Lose weight. Those are all Adventist things. Here's the thing I want you to realize, folks. Most people who set resolutions are wanting to do good things. Can you say amen to that? But the problem is... The same problem it's been since day one of the fall of humanity. 
we have a very dysfunctional will. Can you say amen to that? And that's why after about day three of 2012, you're no longer going to the gym anymore, right? That's why like day 10, you're picking up the cigarettes that you gave up. Folks, we're dealing with human nature here. You know, I took a philosophy class this semester at uh, uh, MJC, and we were talking about, you know, the various generations of people, and the philosophy teacher said something very interesting. He said that what we need to do is learn more philosophy. We need to change humanity, and I believe there's great hope for humanity. And I asked him a question. I said, wait a second. We're dealing with the exact same problems we've ever, we dealt with since day one. Humanity is still struggling with corruption, with selfishness, with vice. These are the exact same things we've been struggling with. He actually talked to me afterwards because he thought there was, he needed to uh, adjust some of the things that he said to me. But folks, I want you to understand this something. We all want to grow. Amen. And we all want God to do big things through us. Amen? But we are dealing with human nature. But I believe that God has some awesome solutions for those New Year's resolutions. Amen? Now, we entitled the sermon, New Solutions for Old Resolutions. It should be titled, actually, Old Solutions to New Resolutions. Why? Because the things that have been given to us in Scripture have been there for a long, long time for us. Amen? And I believe God's calling us to understand those things. Can you say amen to that? The first thing we're going to understand when it comes to keeping New Year's resolutions is this. The Bible has another word for change. What we call change, what we call keeping New Year's resolutions, what we call keeping the decisions that we are making, the Bible has another word for it. And you want to know what that word is? It's called overcoming. It's called overcoming. It's the exact same word. It's becoming the person God wants you to be. It's about getting healthier. It's about overcoming those vices that are in our lives, the things that call us, cause us to fail. And so what we're going to be doing is taking a look in a book in, in the Bible where that word overcoming appears over and over and over and over again. Everybody, take your Bible. Let's go to the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. The book of Revelation. Speaking of that, I went to the, uh, the, the local bookstore, Barnes and & Nobles, and, uh, you know, it's very interesting. It, it's an awesome place. You see a lot of people out there reading magazines and people reading books about art, people reading books about engineering, people reading books about psychology and philosophy. It's good. You find a lot of material out there. But what's always interesting to me is I like going to the self-help section. I just gravitate towards that. It's in my nature. So I like going to the self-help section. And it's interesting because the greatest number of book sales during the end of the year occur in which category? Self-help. <laughs> Let me just share with you some of the titles from the self-help books section before we jump into Revelation. You ready for this? These are book bestsellers. Great by choice, uncertainty, chaos, and luck, why some people thrive despite them all by Jim Collins. Here's another bestseller, Aging Our Way, Lessons for Living from 85 and Beyond by Mecca Lowe. 
Finding your way in a wild new world. Reclaim your true nature to create the life you want by Martha Beck. I don't know why this one was in there. Getting married this year, 365 days to I do. That's by Janet, Janet Blair Page. <laughs> Success in six cups of coffee. How smart networking conquers hidden obstacles by Pina Bethacourt. They should make an Adventist version of that. Success in six cups of Roma. Okay, the happiness project, or why I spend a year trying to sing in the morning, cleaning my closets, fight right, read Aristotle, and generally have more fun by Gretchen Rubin. Here's another one. Reinventing the body, resurrecting the soul, how to create a new you by Deepak Chopra. Leave it up to the Indians. Okay, the element, how to find your, pas how to find your passion, and that changes everything by Ken Robinson. Here's another one. David McRaney, you are not so smart. This is one of my favorite ones. Why you have too many friends on Facebook and why your memory is mostly fiction and 46 other ways you're deluding yourself. <laughs> Here's the thing. We laugh and chuckle about this, but most people are going to the self-help book section because they want to overcome the things in their lives. But we can go to the best book, book sales of all time. Amen, God's word, right? Let's go to Revelation. We're going to find out about this. Revelation, starting with Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. And what you find in Revelation chapter 2, you find that God is talking about the seven churches. He's talking about the seven what? Churches. The seven churches. A lot of time people get caught up in the seven churches and they refer to this and refer to that. But the seven churches are basically seven time periods of God's people throughout history ever since the resurrection of Christ. So you have the church of Ephesus which immediately represents, represents the immediate church right after Christ ascended to heaven. And then you have the next church. And then you have the next church. And it gives all these church periods until it gets to the final church period which is what? Laodicea, right? But what you find at the end of each church period is a promise. Is a what? Is a promise. So let's take a good look at this. Okay, let's go to Revelation chapter 2. Let's start with verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? And then what God does next, it begins to describe all the problems of that church period. Now watch what he says in verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who, what? Overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So what is the first promise that is given to this church? If they, what? Overcome, they will have right to the, what? Tree of life. Now watch the second church period. Look at verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write... And what he then describes is the problem of the church. Now look what he says in verse 11 to, the, to, that, to that church period. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the what? Now watch your third church period. And to the angel of the church of Pergamos, right? And then what he describes is the problems of the church. And look what he says in verse 17. But he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden man to eat, and I will give him a white stone on which a, on the stone a new name is written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Now watch the next church period, okay? And it's coming right down to the very last church period. But in each church period, there is a diagnosis, and then 
what's given is a promise. Watch this next church period. And to the angel in the church, verse 18, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, and then he describes the problems of that church period. Now look what he says all the way in verse 26. And he who what? Overcomes and keeps my word until the end. To him I will give him what? Power over the nations. Now watch what happens in chapter 3, verse 1. You're going to see another church period. And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, he then describes the problem. Then look all the way to verse 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in what? White garments. And I will not blot out his name from the book of what? But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Now watch what happens when he gets to verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? He gives the problems of the church, period. Now look what it says in verse 12. He who overcomes, I will get, make him a what? Pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes out of heaven from God, and I will write on him my new what? Name. Now watch what he says to the final church. Verse 14, and to the angel of the church of Laodiceans, right? Then he describes the problem, and look what he says in verse 21. The final promise given to the entire Christian church, but specifically the final church period, that's the period me and you are living in. Look what he says. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me, where? On my throne, as I also overcame, and sat down with, what? My father on his throne. Now, what's very interesting about this is this. What are you overcoming? I knew you would say that. What are you overcoming? You're overcoming the primary problems of that church period. You're not just overcoming sin. That's such a cliche word. Most people don't even know what that means. So what God does, he says, look, here are the problems that your church is facing, and here's what's going to happen if you overcome. So logically, we must look at what is the problem of Laodicea to know what we have to overcome. Does that make sense, yes or no? Now go to Revelation chapter 3 again, and let's see what that church's problem is. Let's see what our problem is. Verse 14, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, right? These things say the what? Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your what? Works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now watch verse 17, because you what? Say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not reveal, be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Folks, I want you to identify what the problem is of Laodicea. Is the problem of Laodicea that they have a problem? Is that they have a problem, yes or no? It's not that they have a, they, they have a problem, is the problem. 
they refuse to see the problem. Okay, now let's think about that, okay? The problem with Laodicea is not that they have a problem. The problem with Laodicea is that they refuse to see the problem. So what are you overcoming? Now let's think about this for just a second. When you see all the church periods, God tells him to overcome. In what church period he was dealing with persecution, he says, look, you need to overcome persecution by being faithful. He was talking about one other church period, they had lost their first love, and he says, you need to overcome this. But now we're looking at the last church period. What is it that they need to overcome? Their refusal to think that they don't need change. Folks, the first step in overcoming is realizing you need change. Can you say amen to that? Blessed are the poor in spirit because what? Theirs is the kingdom of God. You know why this is so important? Because unless we become poor in spirit, we will never be rich in grace. Do you realize that? Unless we come to God and say, Lord, I am helpless, I am needy, I am sinful, I cannot do this. You will never be in a position to receive the grace of God. You know, I was studying the Bible with somebody this week who's struggling, and they're not here right now, but let me tell you something. This person, we're, we're praying for this person, and I know God's going to give them victory. I asked them one question. I said, do you think you're sinful? She said, yep. I go, do you think you need God's grace? Yep. I said, do you, are you needy? And she says, yep. Then I said, guess what? You're ready for God to come into your heart. Do you know when Peter said, Lord, I am a sinful man, that he received his calling right after that point? Is when we come to God and say, Lord, I cannot do this. I cannot do this. We always want to jump in and think that we can do it. And the first thing we need to realize is that we can't. Until we realize this very first step, folks, everything else is useless. You can go to all the self-help seminars you want. You can try modifying your behavior, changing your situation around you. But until you come to Jesus just as you are, and you come to him with all your, your filthy rags and with your need, it will do you nothing. I love what Ellen White says. She says, our only argument to God is our great need. God I cannot do this anymore. I need you to do this. Does that make sense, yes or no? Yes. Amen. And I'll tell you this, when it comes to young people, I don't know where I'm at with that, but uh, well, when it comes to young people, this is something that a lot of young people think, that sermons like this aren't really necessary. Just tell us what we need to do, we'll do it. But as you begin to become older, you begin to realize that the change of habits are like steel and you can no longer break them anymore. You begin to realize you're stuck in your sinful nature and where it's not easy to jump in and out like you used to do anymore. Can you say amen to that? I'm realizing this more and more. I'm like, man, I just can't, I just can't change like I used to change. I am dealing with sinful flesh here. And as I get older, this sinful flesh ain't getting better. It's getting worse. But the inward man can be renewed day by day.
Amen? But the first step in overcoming and keeping your New Year's resolution is realizing, Lord, I cannot do this. Can you say amen to that? And that's the problem of Laodicea. And when Laodicea realizes it, guess what? God will pour out his latter rain. Number two. Ready for number two? Here it is. Number two. Number two. Go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. By the way, I'm not being Pentecostal right now. I'm just had a lump in my throat, but <laughs> I, uh, how many people here believe that God is calling us to be stronger Christians? Raise your hand. Do you want to be a stronger Christian? You're never going to get to heaven. We've been praying that God will make us stronger Christians our entire life, and it hasn't worked. Do you know it is Christ who wants to be strong in you? We've got to remove this thinking. I've had this thinking my entire Christian walk that I need to pray that God would give me more strength and more power to overcome those things. And guess what? I lose every single time. And you will continue to lose. You'll get a certain type of victory, but guess what? You'll come back. God is not calling you to be stronger Christians. He is calling you to let him dwell in you that he may be strong. Can you say amen to that? And your job as a Christian is to let Christ dwell in you. Now watch this. Go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. Romans chapter 6. Look at verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your what? Mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. How many people believe that? Raise your hand. I hope everybody raised, you're like, I'm not going to raise my hand anymore. I want you to raise your hand if you believe the scripture. Amen? How many people believe that God is telling us that we should no longer let sin reign in our mortal bodies? Raise your hand. You believe the word of God? Okay. Watch what it says next. God gives the solution. Here it is. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to what? To God. That word present goes into different translations. The word simply means consent or to yield. Now let me ask you a question. What are you yielding to? Sin? Who are you yielding to? Are you yielding to self? Are you yielding to willpower? Who are you yielding to? Look at the scripture. Who are you letting uh, come in? Who are you consenting to? The scripture tells you God. In fact, it appears three times in that same chapter. Why? Because God is telling you, listen to this. Understand. God is giving you the keys of sanctification here. You've got to let Christ come in. He's trying to get in. He's standing at the door and he's knocking. He's just waiting, you for, for waiting for you to open the door. Now watch what it says again. Verse 13. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your instruments as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have what? 
dominion over you. Folks, I want you to understand something. Your fight is not the fight against sin. It is the fight to surrender to God. Can you say amen to that? If you choose to fight sin, you will lose. We've lost since day one. And when you choose to do it your own way, guess what you're saying? I'll be God. I'll fight this sin. But watch what it says in verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do, not, do you not know to whom you what? Present or yield or consent yourselves to slaves to obey. You are that one slaves who you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Now go all the way to verse 19. You see those words again. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. But just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now, that's talking about now, 2011 is done with, so we're talking about now, now consent, present, yield your members as slaves of what? Righteousness for holiness. Now I need somebody who's very, very big. I'm talking about tall. It's a big guy. Like somebody bigger than me. Paul, come here for a second. Okay, come here, Paul. Okay, now, is Paul bigger than me? Yeah, I'm looking up to him. You know, we moved a piano. I mean, he power lifted it into the youth room the other day. But uh, Paul's a big guy. Don't let a smile fool you, okay? He's a big guy. He can certainly take me on in a wrestling match. He will beat me. He will utterly destroy me. I know better than to mess with him. Amen? But here's the thing. When it comes to the spiritual battle, if you take on the devil, you will lose. And this is something that you need to understand, that victory does not come from fighting. Victory comes from surrendering. Surrendering to Christ. Can you say amen? amen? Christ wants to do that work in you. He wants to keep all your New Year's resolutions, by the way. You know that, right? He wants to keep them. He wants to help you to lose weight, read a new book, read your Bible, pray more, get a musical instrument so you can participate in church, give more offerings, be more generous. He wants to do all those things. God wants to keep your New Year's resolutions more than you do. Can you say amen to that? And he's teaching you how. Yielding yourself to Christ. Now I need somebody who is of reputable height. Okay, Robbie, why don't you come here for a second? Okay, very good. Okay, now what Robbie represents is all of humanity. That's you, that's me. And for the sake of the illustration, I'll represent Satan, okay? Okay, so what you see here is a very simple illustration, okay? If I take on Robbie, I'm going to destroy Robbie. There's no question about that. <laughs> Robbie can try working out, but I'll eventually take him down. I'm not joking about that. I did jujitsu for some time. <laughs> Don't miss this point. Yielding to God is Robbie yielding to Paul so that he can step forward. Paul, why don't you step forward now? And when Paul steps forward, I'm going to walk away. <laughs> that means the goal 
of Robbie's spiritual experience is to continually yield to who? God. Not to Paul. Thank you, Paul. Folks, don't miss this. We're chuckling and laughing, but guess what? This is going to be the most simplest thing that God is recommending to you, but the hardest thing you will ever do. The hardest part of your day is going to be yielding to God. Your fight is yielding. It is surrender to God. Throughout your day, you are to say, Lord, I'm letting your mind be in me right now. And God will be the power that's needed. He will overcome sin. Can you say amen to that? You've tried your entire life. Has it worked? Have you kept your resolutions? No. But guess what? You let Christ in, he'll keep those resolutions. Christ in me, the hope of glory. By the way, what does the word glory mean in scripture? What does the word glory? Show me your glory, Moses. Moses, show me your glory. What does the word glory mean? Character. Jesus said, I have glorified your name on earth, right? It represents character. So Christ in you is the hope of glory. What does that mean? You allowing Christ in you is preparing you for heaven. It is preparing you constantly to receive the complete character of Christ. That is why it's called the hope of glory, the hope of God's character. Can you say amen to that? Folks, we need to understand one other point. Number one. What's number one? You've already forgotten. New Year's resolution, work on the memory. What's number one? What's number one? No, 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 not lose weight. What's number one? What's number one? Huh? Realizing you can't do it. What's number two? Yielding. Yielding constantly to God to step in. God, I can't do this. I need you to dwell in me to do this. Christ dwelling in you. Even says in Romans chapter 8 that when the Spirit of God dwells in you, sin is dead. When God dwells in you, God's trying to get in you so that he can overcome sin. And unless you yield to him, it's not going to happen. Folks, you're learning the keys of sanctification. This is old solutions that have been there since day one. God has given this to us. But we're looking away because we think we can do it. That's why we're still here. You want to be here another thousand years? No. I want Jesus to come back. Now watch this. Take your Bible. Go to Philippians. Go to Philippians right here. Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 5. Philippians chapter 2 starting with verse 5. Let this mind be where? Around you? On you? In you. Which was also in what? Christ Jesus, the mind of Christ, is a powerful thing, folks. We've got to pray that God would give us his mind more and more and more. It's connected to the second thing, but I want you to understand this more concretely. 
We need to pray for the mind of Christ each and every day in each situation that we go into. And you know what happens? God will do those works he's been wanting to do. Keeping those resolutions. Transforming you. More than just a modification of behavior, God wants to dwell in you. He wants to be the strong one. The Bible says in Romans chapter 16 that God wants to dwell in you so that he may crush Satan underneath your heel. God wants to dwell in you. But praying this prayer, the mind of Christ be in me, you will see remarkable things happen in your Christian walk. You will see God do special things in you each and every day. Instead of us having the evangelists come up or the people from GLOW or the people from, you know, uh, the uh, whatever it is, and they're talking about evangelism, they're talking about you need to witness, you need to do this, and you're just thinking to yourself, I'm just so afraid of talking to people. And pretty soon it starts weighing on you, it starts feeling like a burden. Folks, I want you to understand something. When you have the mind of Christ in you, evangelism will happen naturally. It will happen naturally. I've been challenging God this whole week. I've been saying, Lord, I want the mind of Christ in me. And you know what's been happening? The most remarkable things. I'll just tell you some of them. I walked out of Walmart. And I walked out of Walmart. And, uh, you know, know, when you come out at night and you have dark skin and you have facial hair and you're about six foot tall and you have kind of weird features like I do, sometimes you can scare people. (laughs) Specifically little old ladies. So I came out of Walmart, and I'm just walking to my car. As I'm going to my car, this older lady, she's, she's struggling to get some groceries in. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to scare her. It'll cause more problems. But I said, no, this is what Christ would do. I walked back there, and I said, can I help you? And she just looked at me, and I said, yeah, okay. So she, I lifted up, and I popped it in that trunk, and I said, God bless you. And there was this other woman who was sitting in a car. And she turns around, she said with this kind of just funny accent, she said, You don't see people like that these days. (laughs) And I walked out and I was like, you know what? I didn't do anything. That was Christ. I've gone to the hospital the last few days to visit somebody who's been dying and now died early this morning. I prayed for the mind of Christ before I went into that situation. I said, Lord... I want your compassionate mind to be in me. I don't know how to minister to people. I'm just a guy in a suit who talks fast. I don't know how to comfort people. And you know what happened? I sat there and I talked and I prayed. And the most remarkable thing took place. The lady who is the daughter of this gentleman who's passed away, she's not Adventist. Her family is not Adventist. He was the only Adventist in the family, and she was slightly jaded by certain things. She texted me this morning. I just want to read you what she said. I will tell you, all that you have done has renewed my faith in my dad's religion. Thank you very much. I didn't do anything. You know who did it? Jesus. I want to challenge you. That in everything you do, you are praying for the mind of Christ. You will see God do incredible things. You will see him do those incredible things. Number one, realizing you can't do it. Number two, yielding to him. Lord, I'm letting you step in. Number three, I want the mind of Christ today. You will see God do those things. Look, you've heard about evangelism. You've heard about witnessing. You've heard about being a good Christian. And you've struggled with it. 
Let God do it. Amen? Let God do it. One last thing. I want you to understand something. This is something that blew my mind away as I began to understand this more and more. Ellen White says in the book Heavenly Places, she says this. When the Spirit of God comes upon us, don't miss this point, okay? This is very technical, so I need you to listen. When the Spirit of God comes upon us, the faculties of our mind are aroused to action in new lines. Now let me ask you a question. Who knows what faculties are? <laughs> You're like, amen, but I just don't know what that means. Sounds holy. Let me go on a little bit more on this. Man is not endowed with new faculties. Your faculties in your mind are the governing parts of your mind, the gears, your will, your conscience, your emotions, your sexual desires, the emotional fulfillment, your reasoning. These are aspects of the brain that are more connected to the physical. So the question you're asking then, wait a second then, I know, what does God do then? What new thing is he doing in my mind if those things aren't what change? Those things are sanctified, but they are not changed. You want to know what's changed during conversion and during letting the mind of Christ dwell in you? She says this, new thoughts, new feelings, and new motives are implanted. A new standard of character is set up. So what happens is this, is as the Spirit of God continually comes upon you, those faculties are beginning to be sanctified and they're aroused to do new things. They're still the same thing. But as this sanctification process happens, God implants new thoughts, new words, new feelings, new motivations, and what you do as God implants those new thoughts in your mind, you are to take advantage of them and you are to act upon them. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, for it is God who works in you both to will and do of his good pleasure. And then it says, and work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So God, as he implants these new thoughts, new feelings, and new motivations in your mind, what you are to do is to act upon those things. Does that make sense, yes or no? And this is part of the mind of Christ. As God impresses you as he is in your heart, what you do is you take a step and say, Lord, I'm following this new feeling, this new thought, this new motivation. More and more, you will be sanctified into the character of Christ. You're justified in his blood, amen? But God wants to save you through his life now. His life being in you. Does that make sense, yes or no? Folks, we're going to do something special right now. I believe... This year has come to a close, and I believe God wants to do big things. He wants to change your character. He wants to develop your talents. He wants to bring wonderful experiences in your life this next year. Do you want 2012 to be the best year of your Christian walk? How many people would like that? What we're going to do is a, time, a special time of prayer. We call up all the elders. I never tell them about this. It's time of sanctification for them, too. I want to call up all the elders to come to the front. We're going to have time with special prayer. Our leaders are going to pray for you. Because we know that we're struggling. Iron sharpens iron, amen?
We want to pray for you that this next year that God would have the freedom to do in your life what he's been wanting to do, to work in you powerfully, to help you keep those New Year's resolutions, to be more sanctified because you've already been justified. Amen? Amen. I would invite you up to the front. Come on up to the front. You say, I want prayer for this new year. I want to be consecrated for 2012. I want God to arouse the, the actions of the faculties in new ways. I want you to come to the front. Our leaders are going to pray for you. The same Holy Spirit that's upon the people who preach here are in the elders. God wants to do those great things. Come up to the front if you want prayer. This is the time. This is the time that God wants to do something special for 2012. You don't repent to come to him. You come to him that you may repent. God is coming, calling you to come to him and receive the grace that he has for you. And if you're a prayer warrior, elder or elder's wife, I want you to come up here and assist in prayer. We need all the prayer warriors we can get. This is the time. We're going to end the service like this. We're going to end 2011 like this. God bless you, church family. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.